0: Saints, God is good, amen, and we are thankful indeed for the Lord's goodness. He has been good to us, and he continues to be good to us, and we praise the Lord for every blessing that he has given to us. Saints, I want to thank you for your presence today. Thank the Lord for your prayers today as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I want to continue to elicit your prayers today as we deliver God's word to us today. You know, there's an old saying uh, in the tradition that I come out of and was saved in, uh, and the old saying goes something like this. Preaching and praying goes together. Preaching and praying. Go together. Old preacher used to say like bacon and eggs. (laughs) Preaching and praying. (laughs) Go together. Amen. So pastor needs your prayers in order to preach. Amen. God be praised. God be praised. Last Sunday, we paused in the middle of a confrontational cliffhanger. The powers of darkness versus the power of God. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Jesus confronts the spiritual darkness of the land of the Gerasenes on the other side of the lake. Let's review the events that have happened so far in the story. Walk with me. I want to make sure that everybody's up to speed with where we are at this point in the story. Jesus had preached to massive crowds in Galilee, and after finishing his teaching, he directed his disciples to launch out across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. While in transit, they encountered a violent storm which threatened their safety, but Jesus miraculously stilled the storm. Jesus going to the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee, it's referred, to, it's referred to both as a lake and a sea. Jesus going to the other side of the lake shows what I would call the other side of reality. The other side of reality, you see. Uh, going to the other side of the lake he they were on the one side of the sea of Galilee where Jesus was preaching in the land of Galilee and there were thousands and thousands and crowds of Galileans uh, there to hear Jesus preach and to witness his miracles now he goes from the land of Galilee to the land of the Gerasenes, Uh, from Jewish territory, if you will, to Gentile territory. Now, here we are on the other side of reality. And it reminds me of some familiar modern phrases that we like to use, like, for example, the other side of the tracks, Sound familiar? The other side of town? Somewhere over there? (laughs) I never will forget humorously remembering that uh, many years ago, Linda, my wife, and I were in Annapolis, Maryland, and we got lost trying to find the place that we were looking for, and it was so funny. We drove up to a stop light, a stop sign or whatever it was, and the guy was sitting out there on the bus stop and we asked him, "'Sir, can you tell us where this place is?' And he did this. <laughs> he didn't answer he said, I looked at her and she looked at me and we went, okay. <laughs> uh, now I, I went the way he said go and that did not get us to where we were trying to go. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Every time I think about it, I laugh. But on the other side, somewhere over there, the other side of town, the other side of the country, the other side of the world, the other side of the story. The other side of the lake was considered an unclean land with unclean people, And unclean animals. Now by unclean is meant here in the Jewish context, um, defiled or unfit. You know, unfit for um, worship, you know, unfit uh, religiously. Just to kind of simplify it for you, religiously unfit, defiled, you see, unclean. So the other side of the lake is an unclean land with unclean people and unclean animals, swine. Upon arriving on the other side, Jesus and his disciples immediately come face to face with the spiritual darkness of this region when they are confronted by a demon-possessed man. As you remember, we, we got that far last Sunday. As soon as Jesus saw the man from a distance, he ordered the demons Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And as we already said, when Jesus commands the demons, they must submit to his divine authority. For the powers of darkness are no match for the divine power of the Son of the Most High God. The demon's subservience to Jesus is one of many proofs of his divine sonship. The story of this encounter between Jesus and the demons, is teaching us about the doctrine of Christology. Christology. The doctrine of Christology. What Mark is doing here, the Gospel writer, is through these stories and these encounters that Jesus is having with people, he is teaching us Christology, which is defined as the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Christology is, if you will, a theology of Jesus. What we ought to believe about Jesus, Christology, you see. And so here, Mark, the Gospel writer, teaching us about the Christology of Jesus, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He possesses divine authority to purify our lives of all impure elements. You see. He, in Himself, speaking of Jesus, possesses divine authority to purify our lives. If Jesus has the authority to expel the demons from this miserable man, then surely he can expel your demons, figurative and literal. By the way, I am not suggesting that Christians can become demon-possessed, It is not possible for evil spirits to reside in the soul of a person where the spirit of God reigns. So demon-possessed people are not saved. Like the man in our story was not saved when he first encountered Jesus, as we see here in Mark chapter 5. But Christians can be harassed, uh, oppressed, and persecuted by demons, real and figurative, if you will. <clears throat> Christians can get down and depressed to the point of serious depression. Our thinking and emotions can get twisted and confused and spiral out of control. Emotional pain, personal loss, And deep disappointment, can propel us into a downward spiral. A downward spiritual spiral. And the devil specializes in influencing our hurt and our pain to turn into anger. Because that's usually what precedes anger. Did you know that? Usually what precedes anger is hurt and pain. The pain and the hurt of disappointment, or the pain and the hurt of whatever uh, may have caused that pain or that hurt, then what routinely comes thereafter is, is anger. Um, but anger in a negative way. Anger turned inward, which is what uh, <coughs> some psychiatrists, uh, psychiatrists define This is how they define depression, how some define depression. Anger turned inward, you see. A simple uh, definition, if you will, but a definition that I have found to be extremely helpful in just dealing with, with depression and issues of depression. The devil has a way of influencing, causing our hurt and our pain to become anger turned inward. Now, by the way, let me also say this about anger. Anger in and of itself is not a sin, okay? Anger in and of itself is not a sin. I know in our present context in society, we talk so much about anger, and usually when we talk about anger, uh, it's, it's, it's a negative anger. It's, it's the wrong kind of anger. There is a such thing as the right kind of anger, <clears throat> There is a such thing as right reasons to be angry. There is a such thing as righteous anger. When somebody uh, is mistreated uh, or uh, in some way or another done wrong, it's right to become angry about that. Why? Because of the disappointment, because of the pain, because of the hurt that's, that's caused to the other person. There's nothing wrong with becoming angry about wrongdoing. You see. Um, So there's good anger and there's bad anger. There's godly anger and there is sinful anger. We read in the Bible, for example, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testaments about the anger of God. But God's anger is a perfect anger. It is a righteous anger. It is never a wrong or wrongful or sinful anger. But the kind of anger that we're talking about here, that the devil tries to influence upon us through our hurt and our pain, is the wrong kind of anger, a a destructive kind of anger, a toxic and poisonous kind of anger turned inward. Satan, our adversary, is experienced at influencing our hurt, our pain, and our anger, and causing that anger to deteriorate into bitterness. Ah, bitterness is sin. Bitterness is anger turned to poison within. When we allow our anger to deteriorate into bitterness, we're in a bad place. We're in a bad place. And that kind of toxic anger and bitterness can only poison our souls our minds, and our entire lives. It does not help. It is not good. Nothing good comes from bitterness. So sinful anger can deteriorate into bitterness, and our bitterness can further devolve into emotional hatred towards self and toward others, or even worse, We are not told the details of how this man in our story became demon possessed, but we know that he was in spiritual darkness and he lived in a land of spiritual darkness among a people consumed by spiritual darkness. But when he saw from a distance the light of Christ invading his darkness, He rushed toward the light and came face to face with the only one who could cure the darkness of his demon-possessed soul. And whatever your darkness, Christ is the only one who can ultimately cure your darkness. Jesus overcomes the darkness in our souls and transforms us with his light. The light of his presence, his glory, and his grace. Jesus came to chase away darkness from our lives. Jesus turns darkness into light. By the way, he's been doing this ever since creation. If you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And when you get there, you should already be familiar with the first verse of Genesis chapter one. And I suppose that if I called out and asked for somebody to recite it from memory that there are several of you in the room who could immediately do so. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what I want us to focus on is verses two and three. He's been doing this turning darkness to light ever since the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 through 3 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Darkness. Deep darkness. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let us, there be light and there was light when God called for light out of the darkness who was he talking to Have you ever thought about it (laughs) I remember some years way back in about 2011 when I began the series preaching through verse by verse through the book of Genesis from a Christian worldview. We started at this very point here. To whom was God speaking when he said, let there be light? Well, the Bible answers this question for us in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. John chapter 1. So turn in your Bibles then from Genesis chapter 1 over to John chapter 1, and while you're doing so, just keep this in mind. From the beginning of creation, God called for light, and light by its diffusive nature chases away the darkness. And that's what's so illustrious about this picture that we're in in the story in Mark chapter 5 is the land is in darkness, this man is in darkness, but when Jesus comes onto the scene, the light of Christ lightens this land, and the light of Christ confronts the darkness in this man. Now over in John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, in the beginning, referring to creation, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He, He who? The Word. (laughs) The Word. He was with God in the beginning, at creation. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome overcoming. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was with the Father at creation, bringing all things into existence. When God called forth for light, it was the first thing. The very first words of God in the Bible After we read verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, giving us the state of affairs, and God then speaking, the very first words of God in the Bible called for light. Light. And Christ the Son, the second person of the Trinity, present with the Father in the beginning, present with the Father eternally, from eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the light of his presence, removes all darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is chased away. John 1.5 During this encounter, Jesus asked the man, What is your name? The demons answered, my name is legion for we are many. The answer came from the demons who control the man. Here's the question, what is legion? Legion is not a personal name. So in essence, well the men or the demons Don't answer the question. Jesus says, what is your name? (laughs) The legion is not a personal name. Legion is what a Roman military division was called. A Roman legion consisted of more than 6,000 soldiers plus 120 horsemen. Legion means that this man had many demons. More than 6,000 demons possessing him. That's a whole lot of demons. I mean, just pause for a second and stop to ponder this. That's a whole lot of demons. But it is true that there are people, many people in this world who got a whole lot of demons. Mm. This gives us an indication of how deep his spiritual darkness is. The depth of this man's spiritual darkness is deep. His soul is flooded with demons. No wonder the locals were entirely incapable of curing or controlling the man. Not only could they not cure him, they certainly couldn't do that. They couldn't even get control of him. Every man-made method, medicine, and mechanism intended to get control of this man had failed. Only Jesus, the Messiah, could get control of him. One commentator writes, and I quote, This man has been written off by others as a hopeless, terrifying, rogue elephant. Others have so brutalized him that when he sees Jesus, he sees only another who comes to torment him, like a dog that has been mercilessly beaten or a child who has been outrageously abused. Evil has so completely taken over his life that it assumes a personality of its own. It distorts his perception of reality. The man has no sense of self-identity. He does not know even who he is, end quote. He does not even know who he is. He's legion. That's what he says. Or what the demons say through him. He's completely lost himself, lost his identity. He's lost. Have you ever seen anyone like this? Have you ever known anyone like this? Do you know someone like this? The demons of abuse... Brutality and insanity have so overwhelmed their lives that they are no longer in touch with reality and do not even know who they are anymore. Now this man thinks his name is Legion. That's not his real name. That's the demons lying to him about his own identity. Not only does he not know who he is anymore, but he does not know what he needs. Look at verse 10 with me. Mark chapter 5. Verse 10 tells us, And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Let me read that to you again. Pay close attention to the way Mark words this, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. He, singular, them, plural. Now, one might think that this man would want to get these demons as far away from him as possible, but that's not the case. The demons within him are forcing him As their mouthpiece. To beg for them to remain nearby. The demons do not want to let go. And the man does not want to let go of the demons. Hmm. You see that? He. Begs Jesus over and over again. Repeatedly. Not to send them. Out of the area. Mm. it's like he's addicted to his demons. Like so many people are. They know they need help. And maybe somewhere deep down within them, they really want help. But everything on top of that deep down desire for help, everything on top of it suppresses that deep down desire for help and resists every form of help. That's what's happening to him. Look at him. He's begging Jesus not to send them out of the area. Well, he ought to be begging Jesus to banish them forever. But he can't do that. He can't do it. He can't do it, not on his own, which, which highlights <clears throat> the utter futility of people uh, who think somehow or another that they can be saved on their own or by their own efforts or by their own good works or whatever. You can't, it's not possible. Like this man, it's impossible, he can't do anything to fix himself, he doesn't even, he can't even ask for help, he doesn't even know what he needs, even if deep down he does have some idea, or some idea that he wants help, he still has no idea what he really needs. He just doesn't want to let go of his demons and his demons don't want to let go of him. You know, it's like the demons of drug addiction. If it's anywhere nearby, it can easily be picked up again. As long as the demons remained nearby, they would seek an opportunity to at least persecute this man again. This is also indicative of the depth of the spiritual darkness of the region of the garrisons which we've already mentioned. It was so dark spiritually that the demons were doing everything they could to persuade Jesus to let them remain in the area. Verses 11 through 12 tell us a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, Allow us to go into them. Hmm. A curious request, is it not? Large herd of pigs on the hillside, minding their own business. And the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, let us go into them. The demons begging Jesus earnestly, here, is another indication of their subservience to his divine superiority. Swine pigs, were considered unclean animals according to Jewish law and therefore were unfit to eat by Jews. This too is an indication, though, of the spiritual uncleanness And spiritual darkness of this Gentile region. Another commentator writes, and I quote, the reason for the demon's request to enter the swine is unclear. Some argue that the demons wanted to remain in the territory, and if they could not inhabit the man, then the swine would do. Thus the unclean spirits, dwelling in the unclean man, living in the unclean tombs, enter the unclean swine. End quote. Jesus granted the demon's request. Hmm. But what happens next is nothing short of an unexpected twist. Verse 13 says, he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits, or the impure spirits, came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Wow. Can you imagine such a scene? They bolt out of the chaotic man whose life they had made a complete mess of and literally possessed the pigs. Pigs feeding on a nearby hillside, minding their own business, if you will. And the moment they go in and among those pigs, they take off in utter chaos, swash down the steep bank into the water, and a drown. The pigs commit suicide. A dramatic destruction, by the way, of the evil spirits and the swine. The unclean spirits and the unclean animals both go. Jesus judged legion. Even though these demons were wanting to remain in the area, instead... They ended up in a rush to self-destruction. By the way, this is a sign of the impending destruction on all demonic spirits that is sure to come in the future. They know what their end will be. It has already been determined. There is no salvation for them. There is no salvation for the devil. He's doomed for eternity. But while he still has time, and has been allowed a limited period of time before he is finally judged, he will roam the earth and do as much destruction as he can, knowing that he has but a short time. The destruction of the demons is is visualized by the fate of the swine. Those who witnessed this dramatic event were stunned I would be, too, looking at this. Verse 14 says, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. The swine herders and the garrison onlookers reacted to this event with astonishment. Can you imagine what that jaw-dropping experience must have been like for them? I mean, these are, these, are, these are unsaved people. These are people who are walking, living, and groping in darkness. And they see something that absolutely, boom, just blows their minds. Nothing they could ever have imagined or anticipated. Even the disciples who are with Jesus, no doubt, are in astonishment and no less astonished than they were when he spoke to the winds and the waves earlier and calmed them down, now watching Jesus speak to the demons in this man's chaotic soul, chase them out and calm him down. No doubt in their astonishment, they could hardly believe their eyes. They had just witnessed the most incredible miracle of exorcism anyone could imagine. As a result, they told everyone everywhere they went because the scripture says they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. (laughs) They told the city folk and the country folk about what happened between Jesus and the demon-possessed man. When the people heard about it, they went in large numbers to see for themselves what had happened. Remember? Remember? They had tried to quell this man and control him perhaps forever and were unsuccessful in every way and at every point. And yet they hear that a stranger got off the boat and did what nobody among them could possibly believe. So everybody shows up. Everybody goes out. Everybody empties town and everywhere else to go out and see what's going on here. Hmm. It kind of reminds me just a little bit, if you will, of when people heard that there was a prophet out in the wilderness preaching and everybody flooded out of Jerusalem and out of Judea to go hear John the Baptist. Verses 15 and 16 tell us when they came to Jesus, now make note of that, because they came to Jesus. Uh, it doesn't say, Mark doesn't say they came, you know, they came to the pig herders and the, you know, or even to the, to the men. They saw the man. They came to When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. According to verse 16. So when the crowds of inquisitive garrisons arrived on the scene to see what happened, they were confronted with an amazing sight the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind wow while Jesus' confrontation with the demons resulted in their ruin his encounter with this man resulted in his redemption this man had been taken captive by the devil to do evil but Christ rescued him from the devil's trap and redeemed his lost soul Jesus not only redeemed his soul but Jesus redeemed the whole personhood of this man his soul his spirit his mind his will his emotions and his body you see brothers and sisters when Jesus saves He saves to the uttermost. This man is sitting. Sitting. (laughs) Not running around like a madman. He is seated in the presence of Jesus instead of running around the tombs. No longer deranged. He is now disciplined. Why? Why? Because he is now a disciple of Jesus. He is no longer naked. Now he is dressed. He is no longer insane. Now he is in his right mind. He is no longer cutting himself. But now he is well enough to begin caring for himself. The man is seated and appropriately attired as a disciple who is ready to learn from his teacher. He is a man under control. He is a man under the lordship of Jesus Christ now. He is a man who is submitted to God. He is a redeemed man. (laughs) What the world needs now I know what you're thinking. Because we all know the song. <laughs> what the world needs now is more redeemed men. You see, men are the ones who start wars that kill millions of lives. Men are the ones who drive economies into greed and cheat the poor. Men are the ones who hurt and harm women and children by abusing their power. Men are the ones whose graft and greed pollute the earth and rob its natural resources. Men are the ones who brag about their own self-destruction. If men are out of control, or, but Men out of control, are, if they're destroyers of the planet, then men under submission to Christ can be redeemers of the planet. Mm. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, turn there, turn there if you could quickly, you're in Gospel of Mark, turn to the right, you'll go past Luke and John and Acts and you'll come to Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says this. Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. That's the New King James Version, by the way, of that verse. Through one man sin into the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. In Adam, all have become sinners. All are born in sin, because of Adam. You see, brothers and sisters, the point here is that one man, can do profound damage to the world, but one man, redeemed by Christ, can do much good for the world and for eternity. This man, in our story, was a mess until he met the Messiah who purified him and cured him of all his demons. The power of the gospel is on full display in this man's new life in Christ. Just as Jesus had calmed the storm on the sea, so he has calmed the storm in this man's soul. He is seated, not only that, dressed, and not only that, in his right mind. Now what about you, man or woman? Where are you? Whoever you are, what about your demons? You know, Jesus is able to rid you of your demons right now if you submit and surrender in faith to Him as your only Lord, Savior, and Redeemer. Don't refuse Him. Don't reject him, receive him. The people were astonished to see this formerly deranged, demon-possessed man now in Christ made whole and healthy and holy. We would expect the people to rejoice and be glad for this man and to receive Jesus who healed him. Instead, the Bible says in verse 17, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What? This makes no sense whatsoever. Why do they want Jesus to leave? And not the demons. Why wouldn't they want him to stay? The people seem to suffer from an insanity of a different kind from what the man had suffered from. It is paradoxical that this man, dressed and seated and in his right mind, was more objectionable to this community than when he was a demon-possessed maniac. One might assume that the community would rather have him sane and productive, but instead they prefer things to stay the same and this man to remain in his madness. They prefer disorder more than order. They prefer a the man out of control over a man under control. They prefer darkness. Over light, they preferred chaos over Christ. They preferred relapse over redemption. They preferred madness over the Messiah. They preferred fear over faith. Why was this community more afraid of Jesus than the demons? Though the demons were banished from their region, instead they want Jesus to be banished. Apparently they prefer their demons over the presence of the Lord. By the way, have you ever have you ever encountered a situation where when God shows up in the room, God within somebody Everybody else gets uncomfortable when the Lord shows up in the presence of a, a faithful saint, a faithful servant, and then everybody else sort of invisibly stiffens up. Hmm. Yeah not not because of the human person, but because of the presence of God in the person, in you, Christ in you, uh, disturbs some people. These, these people are disturbed, not by the presence of the demons and the deranged demon-possessed men, they're disturbed by the presence of God whose light has invaded their darkness. They love their darkness. They like their darkness. They want their darkness. Why? Because their darkness is all they know. Their darkness is all they have ever known. They're used to their darkness. They're comfortable in their darkness. Even in the discomfort of the darkness they're comfortable with their discomfort. They're comfortable with their depravity. They're comfortable with everything being wrong, going wrong, staying wrong, and everybody wrong and groping in darkness. They're comfortable with that. That's all they know. That's all they want to know. They're afraid of anything else, not to mention God and the light of God's glorious presence. By the way, this is the reason why many people won't come to church. Now, they make up every kind of monkey excuse in the book. But the real truth is, they are not interested in coming near the presence of God. That's the real truth. So they make up all of this monkey business about Christians misbehaving. Yes, sure, Christians misbehave. What that got to do with God? <laughs> Christians sin, Christians are hypocrites, people who go to church. Yes, so What? His old preacher said, there's room for one more hypocrite. (laughs) Because you're no less a hypocrite than the Christians you accuse of hypocrisy. If they're hypocrites and going to hell, even if they think they're going to heaven, guess what? You're not a hypocrite. You're still going to hell. The bottom line is, what's that got to do with anything? You still need Jesus. You still need God's grace. You still need the light of the gospel. One of the reasons that most people aren't interested in coming to church is because they don't want to come into touch with the living God. And some of us in the Christian church beat up ourselves all day and all night because people don't want to come. Well, they don't want to come because we don't do this. We don't do that. We don't listen. God has not saved us For a whole bunch of gimmicks. God has saved us for the power of the gospel. Sinners will run away from the gospel. What are we supposed to do with that? Pursue them as best we can. They don't know that they're running into an eternal hell that they'll never get out of, but we know. Pursue them, love them, care for them, absorb their rejection. Their rejection cannot hurt you It's Christ's rejection that would hurt you Christ did not reject you He received you So you are accepted forever in eternity What does man's rejection mean? Man's rejection only means That he's running away from God It don't mean nothing for you What are you afraid of? You're afraid of their wrath? You're afraid of their rejection? They're the ones who need to be afraid Of the rejection of God The rejection that the Lord Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, is what he will say to them. God's not going to say that to you. God's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on up. Come on in. (laughs) They want, they like the demons. Demons. They like their darkness. That's their problem. That's everything that's wrong with them. Hmm. So they prefer their demons over the presence of the Lord. Again, this is another indicator of the depth of spiritual darkness among these people. People are profoundly lost when they want to keep their demons instead of being freed from their demons. When people are addicted to their demons, they do not want redemption. And they don't want a light shined on their demons either. But this underscores the great need of the gospel of Christ's redemption all the more. This reminds us of the prescient words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1, where he wrote, Isaiah 65 verse 1. He wrote these words, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. This is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 65, verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me, and I was found by those who did not seek me. That's this story in Mark chapter 5. On the other side of the lake, Jesus enters a land that did not invite him in order to redeem those who did not seek him and to save those who did not even know he existed. The reason for their rejection of Jesus was given in verse 15 where it says when they saw all of this they were afraid. They were afraid when they came. They came and they saw the man made well. Instead of rejoicing they became afraid. Instead of faith they responded with fear. Bob Stein writes, and I comment, I quote, Their fear is a natural response to their having experienced the presence of God. How one responds varies. In some cases, the experience produces good fruit, like back in Mark chapter 4 verse 20. But in others, who see but do not perceive, Hear, but do not understand, the seed falls on bad soil. Finally, end quote, finally, how does Jesus respond to the Gerasene people? Now we see how they responded to him, but how did he respond to them? He gets back into the boat, just like he got out of the boat. Verses 18 to 20 read, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Wouldn't you? I know I would. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Wow. There is a stark contrast highlighted between the reaction of the people on the one hand and the response of the man, this man, on the other hand. The man begs to go with Jesus. He is now a willing disciple of Jesus and wants to be with him and the other disciples all the time. This is further evidence of the man's transformation in Christ. He wants the fellowship with Christ and the disciples. He wants to be in person with the Lord and his people. This is evidence of true fellowship, of true faith. You want to be with God's people and among God's people, not without God's people and away from the presence of the Lord so he wants to be in person with the Lord and his people but Jesus denied the man's plea Jesus' refusal of the man's request is not a rejection of him instead Jesus commissions the man to be a missionary among his own people so even though the Garrison people asked Jesus to leave. nevertheless Jesus would remain among them through the witness of this man whom he had redeemed. Jesus said to him, go home to your own people, to your family, and tell them how much the Lord had done for you and how he had mercy on you. What a powerful witness for the gospel. The man they once knew as legion would now make known to them the gospel of the love of Christ. Jesus gave him the gospel talking points to share with people. What were they? Here they are. Here they are. Tell them how much the Lord had done for you and how he had mercy on you. There is an important lesson for us in the words of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Like this man, we are called to tell others about the goodness of the Lord and his mercy in our lives. You see, these are the talking points of the gospel. You ain't got to go figure something out. You don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need a master of divinity. All you need is to use the words the master gave you. That he gave to this man Tell them how much The Lord has done for you And how he has had mercy On you The gospel of God's goodness And mercy is relevant To everyone All the time The scripture says the man obeyed the Lord It says So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What a testimony. What a testimony to God's glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This man told his gospel story, and people were impacted, and souls were saved. As I close, in this gospel episode Jesus engaged the demonic powers, he engaged a deranged man, and he engaged a deeply pagan community. As a result, the kingdom of God penetrated the spiritual darkness of a Gentile region here for the first time in this region's history which reminds me of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He has come to seek and to save you. How will you respond to Jesus? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory and thanks today for the blessing of being able to find ourselves in the middle of this man's story as he encountered the Messiah in Mark chapter 5. Thank you for allowing us to witness As countless others before us have witnessed the power of Jesus to transform us from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, to chase away the darkness with all of its demons and to replace the darkness and its demons with the light of his glorious presence and power, discipleship and discipline wholeness, healthiness, and holiness. Thank you, O God, that through the power of the gospel, you have made us whole, spiritually healthy and holy by his grace, by his goodness, by your mercy. Thank you, O God. help us to be like this man for all who do not know you may they come to you on their knees now surrendering to you Lord Jesus and for all who are already surrendered and saved oh God may we be like this man and go forth and tell what you have done for us in your goodness and mercy to everybody everywhere In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Amen, amen, let the church say amen.